friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, today I have a special bonus episode for you because today we're introducing a new podcast, another podcast produced by RingDNA. Now, as soon as I'm done talking here, you'll hear the RevOps podcast. It's hosted by our very own Jordan Henderson, Brandon Redlinger, and Jonathan Stevens. So you might be asking yourself, why a podcast on revenue operations or RevOps? Well, more and more companies are embracing revenue operations as the answer to misaligned sales processes, people, and data that can lead to really significant inefficiencies. However, many people still have critical questions about RevOps. I mean, what processes and tools do I need? How do I structure my team? How do I measure outcomes across sales, marketing, and customer success? And what are some of the best practices for doing that? Well, your hosts will deliver unfiltered, thought-provoking discussions and actionable takeaways on every episode about the ideas, the processes, and technology changing the B2B landscape with revenue operations. All right, let's jump into it. Hey, everyone. I'm Jordan Henderson, and welcome to the RevOps Podcast. I'm joined today by Jonathan Stevens and Brandon Redlinger. Hey, guys. What's up, guys? Today, we're going to talk about territory planning. Does anybody want to give a brief description of territory planning, or do you guys want me to do it? I like the sound of your voice doing it. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's <laughs> uh, a, a fine cop-out is what that is. So, all right, so, so territory planning is, just simply put, a plan to ensure that your sales team is targeting the right prospects. Historically, most territories are broken down by geography, but in today's world, modern selling, sales territories are also divided by things like industry, sales potential, prospect type, intent, company size, and, and, and I'm sure there's many, many more things on that list. But overall, basically, it's just a strategy of how your sales team will target and approach prospects and leads and existing customers so that we can close more deals, bigger deals, more valuable deals in the best way for the company. I'm going to pause there. Any questions about that description? Any objections to that description? I think you nailed it. Beautiful. It sounds good to me. Cool. So, so sales territory planning is obviously super important for sales. It's how we attack every given quarter, every given year. It's what the sales team does. It forms their plan. It, it gives them their target list to go after. And it's us choosing as a company, these are the target accounts. It's sort of easy to understand why it's important for a salesperson, especially like if you're a sales rep, this is your territory, here's your plan, here's your segment, here's your vertical, here's your industry, right? Like all that's a very important thing. No brainer of why why that's valuable on that side. I'm actually very, very curious as, as a RevOps guy, how that's important to marketing. So so I actually wanna kick it over to you, Jonathan, on the, on the marketing operations side specifically. How is it important to you? How is territory planning on the sales side? How does that impact you? Yep. I'd say the biggest impact from territory planning would definitely be capacity. So we will send leads up into the system and we need to ensure that the rep has the capacity to work all those leads that they're given in a given territory. So if they don't have the capacity for it, then we have paid leads going out there and just collecting dust. So that would probably be the biggest pain point that we'd want to solve by doing proper uh, planning. How do you measure capacity for that? So to measure capacity, you kind of have to look at the volume of the leads that you're bringing in over time. So typically, we'll look at past couple quarters. Um, that's usually a good indicator of what's going to come in the future. And you constantly want to be kind of refining that process. 
Interesting. So, so if I'm forming sales territories and we're looking at capacity because we want to make sure that we're sending well an appropriate amount of leads to each AE is essentially what you're what you're jabbing at. I think there. How what what are the levers you pull to make sure that capacity aligns to your marketing strategy? So I'm thinking of it in like a couple of different ways, right? If I'm the sales side, when I'm aligning the sales territories, I want to look at capacity as well, right? I don't want to give somebody all of California and give somebody else Rhode Island because the person in California is going to be overwhelmed. The person in Rhode Island is going to be underwhelmed. Uh, when I when I think about it from an ad advertising or marketing standpoint, I, I do use that in my alignment, but also I would like, you know, marketing to align ad spend geographically, potentially in a way that pushes leads to reps based on capacity, stuff like that. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. So yeah, I think capacity as it pertains to how you're setting up your territories, whether that be kind of by vertical or whether that be by geography, I think it's important to have an alignment there between your marketing and sales departments and then kind of act accordingly based on the data. What's the one data point so so i'm say say i'm the vp of sales company where you're the marketing ops guy and i'm like i'm gonna make new territories segments industries verticals everything cross the board we're refreshing everything what's the one data point that you as the marketing ops guy think i need to look at yeah i'd say percent follow-up i think just tracking the follow-up on the leads i think that would be the data point i look at just how many leads are sitting out there that haven't been followed up on in a given territory i think that's a key indicator Oh, interesting. So, so in order, so if I looked at a rep, if I said, Hey, in Southern California, percent of follow-up is very low. What do I do with that? How do I action that information? Yeah. I think then we need to start looking at, does the rep need help in that territory? Do we need to have supplemental help from a rep in a different territory or do we need to add a second rep to cover that territory? That's, that is such an awesome data point. Cool. I, I got nothing to push on that. That that is that is actually just a really valuable piece of data point that that I bet you ninety percent of the people listening to this are not considering when they're making territories. I would bet it's ninety five percent because I know mm-hmm. I don't do it all the time, and and I work with you five hours a day, and I don't do that <laughs> all the time. So yeah, that's just an awesome piece <laughs> of insight. I don't I don't have anything to push back on. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you, and I'm actually more curious because I, I so product product marketing is outside of my wheelhouse. You know, a lot more than than even marketing operations. I work with Jonathan all day, every day, so I kind of had a hunch what his answer might be. Yeah, and you but, never even but, talk to me. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I try <laughs> to avoid you at all costs, right? So, 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 given given that product marketing is sort of outside my wheelhouse, I am very very curious what your answer to the question "Why is territory planning important to you in your role?" is. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I will first say I think it's a big miss that most organizations don't actually involve product marketing in their territory planning, right? So as a pragmatic marketing best practice, product marketing and even like product management teams, they should have a real solid understanding of the market and the market requirement docs to really help you answer key questions, key go-to-market questions, right? So, you know, Things such as um, what are the most opportunistic markets to target right now? What type of demand and what type of content needs to be created to drive customer interest? Uh, What are your biggest buyer needs? Um, What do buyers care about when making purchasing decisions? And PMMs, product product marketers, also can bring insight into certain uh, verticals and geos, right? So, for example, 
some verticals, such as you know, life science and financial services, have strict data compliance regulations, something that you know, I think some sales managers might not have insight into. Product marketing has insight into that because they build that into their go-to-market. And they have all of that when they're building out their recommendations for ICPs, their positioning statements, all the messaging, all that stuff that goes into your go-to-market plan. All of that insight can be and should be used by sales when doing the territory planning. Um, and then also you have things like going to geos. Like you could have one square block in New York that has more demand than like the entire state of like Alaska, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of this go-to-market planning could be utilized a little bit better by sales. I haven't been a part of a company where they did bring in product marketing early in that exercise or sometimes even at all. Got it. So, so um, one of the one of the things that that's really interesting that you you've brought up there to me is the differences in the way verticals we're approaching verticals right as a company and 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 I know a few of these off the top of my head like selling into healthcare is difficult unless you're HIPAA compliant right and exactly. we, we don't know what that looks like. Um, financial services is a very compliance heavy. What are some others? The, um, that's a great question. I think things like. Um, whether the industry can accept gifts. That's a big one too right mm. now. Like, right? A lot of people these days, uh. how you get into the door is, you know, you're using PFL, you're using Sendosa, whatever it is, let's send them a gift. Well, a lot of companies, well, certain uh, industries cannot accept gifts. So you have to find different, more into, and, and sometimes too, it's like, well, this state you can, this state you can't, <laughs> yeah. right? And then mm -hmm. all yeah. of a sudden, maybe your top rep out there is completely handicapped because he can't do it in his state anymore, right? So and you've like, kicked him to a, you've kicked him to a vertical where he can't send gifts, and he's entirely based his entire conversion of the past nine months on Sendoso. Exactly, and you're forecasting the stuff that you're doing. You're counting on him to bring in you know, X amount of uh, pipeline and X amount of revenue. And now all of a sudden he can't. And it, I would also say it's important to bring product marketing in because those things can change pretty frequently. So one year, you know, everything may be great. And then you hit the new year, new regulations roll out. And then all of a sudden, again, that, that uh, rep is handicapped. So um, that, that is product marketing's job to really be fully tapped into the market and really nail that go-to-market plan. That is a great answer to the question, and I am going to dig deeper in one way, which is all of that sounds awesome. What's the one data point? If you were involved early in the conversation that you would say, sales, look at this freaking data point and make sure you're incorporating it into your territory planning, because if you don't, we're going to regret it later and you're going to handcuff product marketing. Ooh, that's a good question. What's the one data point? Um, let me say... We'll cut the pause later. Yeah, exactly. Think, Thank think you. about it. <laughs> yeah, I've got we'll one we need to cut. We get into the Jeopardy <laughs> We're cutting my lever question too, so. <laughs> yeah, it's like, shit. Sure. That, that is a great question. One data point. <laughs> Jordan the stumper. 
Uh, that's the point. What is it? There's got to be something, though, right? Like, but but in reality, like, th- there does have to be a data point. There's got to be something we can look at. This is a very data-driven decision. Sales does territory planning. I think I look at like 12 to 15 data points every time we do territory planning. It is a very thought-out and a deliberate process, right? And it can impact so many things. Again, about marketing's ability to function, product marketing, CS, our future of our product, our GDM strategy as a whole is all built on territory planning. It's a foundational thing. And so as a result, it's got to be very data-driven, which means it can't be like, I need to be involved because I want to talk about segments. It needs to be, here's the data points we're looking at, right? Uh, totally. Well, I, I think like it's got to be the demand within, well, because you're looking, you're also looking at personas too, and you're looking at buyers, totally. right? 100%. So yeah, it's like all the demand within each um uh, within each, however you're going to market, whether that is vertical or whether that is, if you're doing if you're doing your planning by geo, right? Um, Combination thereof most of the time. Company like Salesforce, they they do um, four data points, typically based on region, geography, company size, industry, and customer lifecycle would be like the most common. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's, I mean, maybe for a different podcast, but like, do, do you break it out on like mainly right now? You see geos. Um, territory is broken up by geos, but like I've always thought when it comes to ABM, when it comes to real enterprise, that they should, you really shouldn't be doing geos. You really should be doing verticals. Yep. Yeah. I, I actually, I actually agree with that. I think there's a nuance there that, that, um, that I, as a, as a RevOps guy can sort of shed some light on. It is very hard to break into verticals as an early stage company. Uh, what I would call early stage, you know, like pre 50 million or pre hundred million because, a couple different reasons. One, you don't really know yet. You don't have enough firm data to say these are the four verticals where we're going to sell everything into because you've probably only really tried one or two at a heavy level to, to get that data. The other piece is breaking into verticals requires a lot of sales reps. Because if I go, because you still have to have some component of geography involved in that, right? Like that I still need to say true. like financial services, but like I can't say financial services all of America. You could say financial services and put 10 reps in New York alone. Yep. And, that, and that's, that's enough, right? But I need to break it out by both vertical and geography in some way that's I can actually allocate back to Jonathan's point of capacity. Mm-hmm. And so if I only have 15 sales reps because I'm a $30 million company, I do not have anywhere near the capacity as a team to break into geography and vertical. I am lucky if I can cover the entire United States with 15 reps and still not be over capacity. So while I totally agree with your point, I think it is a 50 sales reps or above universe where you are able to do that effectively without missing things, which is just reality, right? Yeah. I agree. But I also disagree is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I'm pushing back on this because you haven't given me a data point yet. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I would have a like specific data point just the data point is just brandon needs to be in the conversation involve me guys come on yeah just (laughs) let me get a seat at the table but yeah i I want to sit at the table (laughs) i think mainly it's just the vertical like being specific to the requirements of the different verticals and the geography would probably be probably be that kind of yeah makes sense so like um the, the data point is what verticals are we seeing the most traction in like ad conversion against or like total awareness campaigns run against certain verticals, that sort of thing. Right. Sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Got it. Got it. 
me and Jonathan coming up with your answer for you, Brandon. We have to review a little harder next time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough subject to start with. I will. <laughs> it is. It is. And, but that that's the point, though, right? Because if you're a sales ops person, which a lot of rev ops people are actually just sales ops people. I've talked about this a lot. I'm not going to go into that any more than I need to. But if you're if you're trying to toe into the world of rev ops, you need to understand. I I understand what's best for sales, and I have a rough understanding of what's best for marketing. I have a great understanding for CS, you know, tooting my own horn a little bit. But I need to know the things that are important for marketing that are important to sales, and vice versa. Like I need to ask the same questions about what you guys are doing and what I would want included in that, because all of that needs to overlap, and that's what's missing. We're not aligning on definitions. We're not aligning on data. We're not aligning on what's important. So then everything downstream from that is not aligned. There's no way to do the rest unless foundational things like territories are lined up. And I can't align territories to marketing if I don't ask marketing what's important to you in territories, right? Yeah, now, totally. what you guys have just done is you've made it so all of the listeners, they don't even have to go ask their marketing teams. They already know. You've just given it everything. Like, they'll, <laughs> they'll go do it on their own. Don't do that, anybody listening to this. Go talk <laughs> to your marketing team. But just some insights as to why. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. So then... I'm going to move on to something. We're still going to talk about territories a little bit more. And I don't know that y'all, it sounds like Brandon, you haven't been involved in territory planning in the past, uh, although you would very much like to be. Jonathan, I think you've got some involvement in your past, but but probably not an extensive amount either. There's one question that I, I feel like I have to ask because I consider a lot of things that I make territory planning. I've made a lot of mistakes when I've done territory planning. I've planned territories so many times at this point. So my question is, and I haven't answered this, but I'm going to start with you guys. Brandon, I'm actually going to start with you. What are the things that you think people consider when they're territory planning that are dumb? Or one thing? That are dumb. Jeez, that's a good question. Tell you what, I know you haven't done territory planning before. I'm going to skip to Jonathan. There Jonathan, <laughs> I'm going to let you answer the question. Brandon, you think about it. All right. Okay, I would say probably the most critical in my mind would be ensuring that your reps align to the territories they're assigned. So if you've got a territory in New York, it's full of financial services, and you got a rep that doesn't have a lot of experience in financial services, you're probably setting yourself up for a little bit of a disaster. So that would so, probably be my number one. So that's, that would be in the, the group of like things we should consider, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, what's, the thing, what's the thing that you shouldn't consider? thing you shouldn't consider yeah like feels like a good idea maybe or people are just doing it but like don't do it anymore yeah um that is a good question i'm trying to think of some of the things i've done things i've seen in the past <laughs> there are I, quite I, a I few think, i assume i will say shared territories can be a bit of a handful on the back end managing comp and things like that so i think that would be one like try to keep territories to one rep and maybe mm. have them be supported by, you know, somebody. But yeah, as far as sharing territories, that could be. And I, I, think tip, I think typically the thing that leads people to do that is they'll be like, oh, these two reps are both based in Tampa Bay. So we're going to give them both Florida. Mm. And like, what? Like, that's that's ridiculous. Like, why, <laughs> why are you giving them the same state and the same territory just because they're living in the same city? We live in a remote world. Give them <laughs> separate states. One can have Georgia, one can have Florida. Job done. Yeah. Right. Like, like. And even the best tools in the world are not going to prevent overlap. So you're going to accidentally hit them up twice in the same day and you're going to be in trouble for it. Yeah, a thousand percent. Or they're each going to open up an opportunity with different divisions of the same company and then they're going to argue over whose company it is, whose customer account, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Brandon, 
got an answer for me yet? Um, so I, I will say in the past I have experienced where we, we base territories largely on just like historically where we've done the best in the past. And again, I've been at growing companies where territories have largely been like ignored just because we don't have capacity there, right? And then we bring on a new rep, uh, territories get broken up, and then now it's actually uneven just because it's like, yeah, we we sold a lot there in the past, but that's just because we had the biggest capacity there, right? And then it's it's usually those kind of tech hubs. So I would say really not taking like um, that consideration of some of the the underlooked territories and really figuring out what is the opportunity there and how much um, how much can we realistically expect now that we have proper capacity in that territory. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. By the way, that is exactly what I was going to say. Is the, <laughs> nice. where, 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 where your customers are located, because especially if you're an early stage cost company, right? Like your customers are located probably where your company is located most of the time or on like exactly. the West Coast of California. And just because that's where all the success is, yeah, that person has a slightly larger upsell base to go into, but it also doesn't mean that you're not going to see that success in Dallas and Utah or, or wherever else just when you start to expand your footprint. And so basing, like, oh, we're going to split Southern California into four rather than just, like, move east is exactly. not a good way to allocate territory. Totally agree. And, and then so, now we have a lot of people leaving some of your main tech hubs, right? So how do we account for that? Like a lot of people here, just like me, I left California, I left the Bay Area to come to Denver or to come to Colorado. And we see so many, so much movement right now in the market. How do you actually really appropriately plan for that as we're coming, like as we just entered 2021 now, right? Like, does that screw up yeah. all your territory planning that you've done in 2020? Probably. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah little probably. Bit. <laughs> but so that, that actually could sort of season the last question that I had on this is um, like I, I sort of, you know, we, we try I, I'm a firm advocate of, of, you know, trying to have a level of continuity in territories that makes any transitions easier. But it also makes it so that you have a level of consistency for the marketing generated leads that allow you to con- con- continue to convert those without having any negligent effect essentially but obviously you have to change territories when you hire new sales reps you lose sales reps the team grows you're growing your marketing span you're increasing budgets like all those things affect territories how often should you change your territories coming from you guys pick a number how many months how many months should it be between changing territories i would go with a year i'd go with every 12 months why because i think you need to give reps a time to establish themselves in the territory. I think the first few months are just kind of getting used to things. So you're not really going to be able to have any measuring success until you can kind of give them time to get comfortable in there. What if, what if I bring a new rep in? So, so I have the reality of territories. I have to change them when I hire new reps, right? I have to split them up to give new reps territories, but I'm going to follow your string here. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to push back on this a little bit. <laughs> say, say you're a new rep at a company. You've come in. You do onboarding. You know, quarter one, you're, you're spending your first six to eight weeks doing some onboarding, learning the product, learning how to, like, handle a couple of, like, low-level objections. You're kind of, like, feeling your feet in. You, you booked a few meetings, got a few opportunities. But you really only prospected for about a month that quarter. And then in quarter two, I'm like, hey, I can give you a new territory or you can stay in that one. Isn't that a better time to take a new territory than in a year when you've – got your roots into that territory? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be more about once you kind of get used to your territory, familiar with the players within the territory, that's when getting out of that territory would kind of be wasting some time. So then your rep just spent all that time getting used to their territory and who the right players are and getting familiar with the right people. And then they've got to switch territories. Now they got to start all over from scratch. So as long as you're preventing that scenario, I think you're fine. But if, if you don't give them enough time to get comfortable, then they're never going to be. And then you're not going to have as much success. Totally. Yeah. So like basically you're balancing the, I have to switch with like once in a while you have to, you know, split a territory in half because you got new reps. You got to give them somewhere to sell into with, you know, this person has existing relationships, has a footprint in that territory. And so I need to give them some level of consistency to, to maintain at least part of that. So maybe rather than switching them to a whole new one, I'm actually going to split it in half and they'll keep half that they have the best relationships in. And then so-and-so will take Northern California while they take Southern California, something like that. Well, do, yeah. do you always have to split um, territories? Can you say we're going to leave these two territories open because we know we're hiring for these two territories That's, in next it's quarter? A great, it's a great question. Yeah, we've totally done that before. I've totally been like, Hey, this territory is open territory. Marketing generator are going to get allocated out on a round robin. Yep. We're actually going to have some SDRs prospect into that territory, and anything they generate gets round robined out. Yeah, because we don't want to just go so cold there come all in together. 100% cold, right? Yeah, and, and then, then there's things that we can do in marketing to kind of boost that as soon as the rep comes in. Yep. Yeah, and, and I've done that lots of times. That definitely works. It is a very great practice if you know you have open job recs and you're going to be hiring. The trick is you got to actually hire the people. <laughs> you can't do that for very long. And that is and hiring is tough. And so you have to have a level of confidence. You have to have a candidate pipeline that says, I'm going to hire somebody by this date and they're going to be ramped and ready for territory by this date. And until then, I can cover this with SDRs and marketing and round robin it out without, by the way, hindering the capacity that I use, capacity planning that Jonathan talked about way at the beginning to make sure that my sales reps can handle those those extra leads that they're going to get. Because that's a huge thing. They're going to get more leads because the territory essentially they they become you know one tenth of another territory becomes theirs, which which is a lot. Totally, cool. So last question, and this is totally unrelated to territories. We're past territories. I really appreciate all the insight on that, guys. It was super helpful, even for me. It's not something that the three of us have ever talked about before, so it's really interesting to have that conversation. And I think you guys have a lot of insights into like things that we should be including in that discussion. And and I hope that everybody finds it valuable. I know I did personally, so I imagine most of our listeners will. This week on LinkedIn, I got a message from a colleague who's been in CS product operations and is moving into revenue operations. They asked a great question, which is, where should I start? So my question to you guys is, and I'll start with you, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. First 30, 60 days, where should they start? Trailhead, trailhead, trailhead. If they're a Salesforce shop, you need to learn the CRM like the back of your hand. So you need to know how to administrate. You need to know how to do lead routing. You need to know how to deal with the data and the relationship between the different objects. So I'd say that is key to start with. Got it. Trailhead, trailhead. For everybody who doesn't know Trailhead, it means you're not on Salesforce. Trailhead is Salesforce's learning library. You can learn anything you ever wanted to know about Salesforce in Trailhead. It is absolutely insane. It's like a university built online. I love it. You could just Google anything you want and it's going to give it to you in a Trailhead. And it's an easy to watch video that probably has a raccoon in it. So, <laughs> um, but no, Trailhead is great. Uh, Brandon, same question. Where should they start? If it, I mean, they, go to your product marketers and ask them for their go-to-market plans. Look at 
um, all your persona documentation, uh, look at um, all the the content that they have available, right? Like a lot of times um, they have the best grasp of the content that exists, where to find it and how to use it. And you as a new rep coming in, I think is a, 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 it's a great opportunity for you to learn that because I think a lot of reps out there who have worked at companies, they, they, they actually don't know where the content lives, right? They'll either try to do a quick Google search and it's really not going to come up with much or it'll come up with something that's you know, five years old. That's irrelevant now. Um, but it's likely that marketing has all that documented somewhere. Some marketing teams are great at enabling their, uh, their reps with where to find that content and how to actually use that content. But if that is that if that does not exist, I think it's a great opportunity to sit down with them and say, um, all right, where is it? How do I find it? What's the best way to use it? All of that is like the, your your PMM is going to be your best friend on it. Awesome. So there's a thing, there's a I can tell you, do you guys want to know what my response was? Because both of you sort of teed into my response to that message. This is actually a real real message that I got. I said, do absolutely effing nothing. Because this is important. And and both of you went down the same vein. Your first Mm -hmm. 30, 60 days in any role, you shouldn't do anything. You should learn everything. It's all about learning. Don't don't come in being like, here's the three things that I'm going to do in my first 60 days to move. You don't know anything about that company. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much they've sent you, how many conversations you've had, how closely you've worked with them in the past. Spend your first 30 days learning everything, whether that's learning Salesforce, learning where documentation is, learning how product marketing works. Learn. Spend it all learning. At the end of that time, then figure out what you're actually going to do because then you'll actually have some things that you can action. 100%, Hundred percent, man. I would say my biggest pet peeve: new new hires across the board. I don't care what department. It's they come in, they think they know the business better than the people who have been running the business for however long, right? So whenever someone comes in and thinks that, hey, let's let's just implement this playbook that I brought from my previous company, I want to yeah. punch them in the face. It's like <laughs> shut up, like sit down and just take in as much as you can. Like to your point, it's all about Mm -hmm. learning, figure out the business, the nuances. And then if something makes sense for your business that you did in the past, that's great. Let's do it. Or if there's something else that we can try, let's test it out. But it's not, all right, come in. Let's just, let's just do my playbook. That's not going to work. It hardly ever works. Even if it's a company that's like, um, very similar to a like maybe if it, even if it's a competitor you came from, right? Similar business, but everything has to be the same for it to work. Things like the your funding and um, the headcount and all of your internal resources. Like all, if everything is the same, then sure it might work. But otherwise, mm-hmm. like it's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still, still probably one, exactly. Right, like it, it's no business is the same. And no, you need to know really everything. You need to know at least some things. By the way, you're not going to know everything in a month. You're probably going to know nothing in a month. But like spend a month learning and then figure it out. And this is actually a good note for hiring managers. When you hire somebody, don't expect that they're going to come in and just immediately throw gasoline on the fire. Like expect that they're going to come in, give them the space to come in, learn everything that they can and then hit the ground running because they're going to be much more impactful. They're also going to be happier in their job if they do that. They're going to stick around longer because they've had that that learning. They feel comfortable in everything. They've got the You're setting them up for success. 
Exactly. And you've given yeah. them the trust of like, I'm going to let you, you know, 30, 60 days, learn everything you can. And then I really want you to hit the ground running. And that's actually how you develop somebody. So yeah. both of your and answers covered that. I was kind of hoping you both said something like, oh, you should like do this so I could yell at you. But, <laughs> sorry, Jonathan, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that's tricky as a new hire coming in too, because your first instincts is I want to impress everybody. I want to make sure everybody knows I know what I'm doing and I can come in here and rock it. But at the same time, you need to be patient. You need to learn the business and you need to learn everything about the company before you can really make a difference. Otherwise, you could just end up being putting the cart in front of the horse. Totally. And I, I would say as, as a manager, new hires that impress me are the ones who ask good questions. Mm. Yeah, thousand percent. And, and the, uh, if you come in and start doing things. I guarantee you in 90 days, you're going to have to undo those things and do something else. Exactly. You can create more work for yourself down the road. So avoid that and just learn. And by the way, if you're interviewing for a job and they're like, hey, we want, you know, talk to us about your 30 day plan. What are you going to come in and do? And you say, I'm going to come in and learn everything I can. All of this is dependent on that. And they're like, not good enough. Don't go work for that company. They're not going to mm-hmm. give you the trust in the space to do Absolutely. things. Absolutely. There's better yeah. jobs out there. So no, I think that's a um, great cool. point. Like figure out the expectations before you take the job, right? And not just 30 days too, 30, 60, 90, even 90 highly technical products, 90 days at the earliest for you to actually understand the product itself and the market itself, right? So like I think, yeah, it does depend on uh, the company and the the product that you're selling to. But anyway. Yeah, no, thousand percent. Um, cool. So guys, this was really, really awesome. I think we got to wrap it up. We've been, we've been, uh, rocking out now for like 40 minutes. So I think we were probably going to lose some listeners by now, but Mm. um, just to sort of recap it all, really good conversation about territory planning, guys. I really appreciated all your insights into why it would be important for product marketing and marketing operations to be at least involved in those conversations. And and a couple of the data points provided that that sales should at very least be considering and aligning our territory plan to your two teams to help us increase alignment down market. Also really appreciate your insights on, on where, where people would start. I'm glad we're all in agreement where you started a new job is actually just learning everything you can. It would terrify me if we weren't, but that's probably all, why we all work at the same company. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, guys, great conversation and we will give everybody the rest of their day back. All right. Talk to you guys next time. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my, I guess, call them guest hosts, Jordan Henderson, Brandon Redlinger, and Jonathan Stevens, for sharing their insights about RevOps with us today. If you enjoyed their podcast, please subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.